0: Green Rush Nation. This is Shea Gunther, producer of this show as well as Marijuana Today and Marijuana Today Daily. Can I ask you a huge favor? Can you think of just one person who would enjoy listening to the Green Rush? Think about how much value your friend would get out of hearing Lewis and Ann talk with all the interesting people they chat with each week. Then reach out and tell that person about our show. We're working on building out our audience, and one of the best ways to do that is for you, our listeners, to tell people in your lives about what we're up to. You can send them over to greenrushpodcast.net or have them search for the term Green Rush in iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever else they find their podcasts. Thanks so much. Welcome to The Green Rush, a podcast about the intersection of cannabis, the capital markets and culture. On a weekly basis, hosts Ann Donahoe and Louis Goldberg of KCSA Strategic Communications speak with the business leaders, financial experts, cultural icons, legislators and generally interesting people moving the cannabis industry forward. This week, we're trying something a little bit different in that we're presenting a mini episode, a shorter show than usual, clocking in around 20 minutes in length. For this inaugural mini, Lewis sat down with friend of the show, Danny Moses of the Big Short fame. Danny has been on the Green Rush a few times in the past, and we're always happy to have him as his take on investing in the cannabis industry is unique, and his voice is one that people pay attention to. So, don't sit back. Lean forward and give a listen to Lewis and Danny.
1: Hello, everyone. This week we're trying out something new, a mini episode, where we usually spend between 40 and 60 minutes talking with our guests. This week's show is around 20, 25 minutes long. Let us know what you think. Do you prefer a longer form chat where we... Can even go longer than we have been or shorter? Should we mix it up? Should we stay consistent? Also, please take a moment to rate and review The Green Rush. Every time you guys do, it helps more people find us. We say that The Green Rush sits at the intersection of cannabis, the capital markets, and culture. And this week's show is almost all about the capital markets. I got a chance to sit down with my good friend Danny Moses. If you don't remember who Danny is, go Google him. He was integral to unwinding the BS around the credit default swaps and collateralized debt obligations markets in 2007, 2008. You know, the, the huge financial crisis that we went through that was almost as bad as the Great Depression, but for the work that President Obama did. Well, Danny was a, a big part of the big short story, which was a great book and a great film. And he took the money he made there and moved it into investing in cannabis, and he calls that the big long. Well, he doesn't only do that. He also shorts the shit out of Tesla, but that's a completely other story. Danny is smart. I mean really, really smart. He reads every line of every public filing to look for where the corporate governance malfeasance is, and based on those filings, he makes his buy, hold, or sell decisions. And his research is all publicly available. It's not like he's getting anything that you or I couldn't get. He just takes the time to grind through every freaking document. You can same, You can read the same stuff, and you can come to your own conclusions. But he's doing it for you. But before we get to my chat with Danny, I'd like to ask you a favor. Yes, you. I'm in your ear right now, and I mean you. Send us an email to greenrush at kcsa.com and let us know who you'd like to be a guest on the show or send us some questions that you want us to ask of our guests I've done a bunch of these interviews alone and I would love to know if you want Anne to do a few solo shows let us know this show, The Green Rush, is as much your show as it is ours and we want your feedback and with that on to my chat with Danny Moses all right, I'm sitting here with Danny Moses, good friend, uh, guy who knows more about the the public markets than anybody I. I, I don't know. think that's true, but well, than anybody I know. Okay, How about that? fair enough, fair right?
2: Enough. Um, you must not have a lot of friends. I no. have. I got you. <laughs> okay, that's about it. But All that's right. enough. Yeah.
1: Thank you for coming back. Sure. Um, so the cannabis markets, the cannabis public markets, for the last three four months, have been in the shitter. Why? Why? Why are they not? Why are these stocks so down? Even f- further down than the general market.
2: Um, I think there's a few reasons. Uh, one has been corporate governance, which I talked about,
1: which you always talk about a lot
2: of time, has reared its head, and in the long run, that's a good thing. If the companies can survive and you can change out management and upgrade, I won't go into companies uh, specifically on that, but um, you're seeing that. Um, the second is, I think that the experience that U.S. investors have had if they want, quote, exposure to cannabis has been through, through the stocks in Canada because those trade on the New York Stock Exchange and NASDAQ. And that, we've always said, there was a pair trade there potentially to short Canada to go long in the U.S. Um, I don't know where that stands at this moment in time. Obviously, companies are now reporting. This is the moment that you're starting to realize that fundamentals don't match the story stocks up in Canada, and so. Or the, here, for that matter. Exactly, so the story has been, in the near term, or what has happened near term is the realization that the exposure to cannabis that U.S. institutions have has not panned out because they never really did the bottom-up work. The bottom-up mm-hmm. work is really done in the U.S. names where you try to figure out the economies of scale that exist potentially. And the issue has been, and we're, we're getting closer but we're still there, is the access to the banking system has been a real impediment. And the cost of capital is still very high for these companies. And the game has been the economies of scale exist because we can go to multi-states. I mean, there's companies out there with 21 states, 1918, everyone knows what the CapEx needs are going to be. Right. If they can't access capital, if they can't access debt uh, still, and if they are accessing debt, it's still very expensive. Yeah, like 15 20%. Right. It's not as economical. Can you make money there? Sure. But that's not what people invested for. So you've had that happen. And that's still... So the SAFE Act is working its way through. I think it actually will pass this year. You we think hope. it's going to
1: pass in 2019? I think it comes out
2: of the House after Labor Day. I think it passes the Senate... Crapo who Idaho who is anti cannabis said let's just do this already there's too much cash that is being mm-hmm. circulated in the system let's tax this let's get it right it is what it is but I do think that passes I think that would be will be a near term catalyst and a long term positive so who are
1: the winners uh, if the Safe Act passes in 2019 um, you can either name names or not um, but like who are the winners if I'm a st- if I'm a retail investor and I've got $10,000 to invest given that the U.S. MSO stocks and even the ancillary guys are so low. Is this like a mad buying opportunity, or should I think we it'll wait? take
2: a while to sift through the system. You announce it, you pass it. Banks are still gonna take a deep breath and try to figure out right. exactly who to play. But I think any of the multi-state operators, which are set up that have a clean balance sheet right now, you know whether you know it's an Ianthus, um, the you know whether it's a Vireo who is well set up for execution, whether it's a Cresco, mm-hmm. just from an enterprise value perspective, what it can add is is huge, and so I think that the game right now has been as the stocks go down and their bulletin board, you know, they trade on the CSE or their bulletin board here, um, it's it's a double-edged sword because, it, you know, investors know that their access to capital is really through their stock, and now they're kind of trapped, and so it's a vicious cycle. The other thing that's happened is hemp in the CBD market that has taken away billions of dollars potentially that would have come into the cannabis space, in my opinion. And so, for better or for worse. I mean, I think people realize, oh, this is actually, quote, legal. I can actually invest in this. So institutions came off the sidelines that maybe had been waiting for cannabis that deployed billions of dollars into hemp and CBD. Now, that may end up being a great investment. Um, I think there's probably overproduction of biomass. It has occurred, we're about to go into the next harvest. I don't pretend to be a farmer, don't pretend to understand all those economics of it, but there's a gold rush of sorts. And now you're seeing, the cannabis operators trying to mitigate that risk by buying into hemp or by doing something. And that's smart. I think over the long term, it's good. I think CBD is here to stay. I think the consumer needs to educate themselves exactly what they're taking. And you and I have talked about this before, but I think there's a lot of products out there that if you test them, don't test for any CBD.
1: Yeah, you you before we started recording, you had mentioned um, something about aluminum cans. Can you can you talk about that? Well, just before? one of the—I
2: mean, I'm certainly not a scientist or lab tester, but— But I, you play one on TV. But I play one on TV, and I, I do know, just from talking to friends in the industry, that a lot of the sodas or things that claim to have CBD in them— if you package it in an aluminum can, per se, it adheres to the side of the can, and actually, over time, it decays. Now, the shelf life can be, every day that goes by, it probably gets a little bit worse. Glass bottles, some people use, which is more expensive to manufacture, obviously, keeps in, it tests pot, you know, tests for the amount of Mm -hmm. CBD, they say, is in it. So, you know, there's all kind of, there's full spectrum, there's isolates, distillate so again the market's trying to figure out where it wants to go but the consumer like they do when they go into GNC and they think they're getting a protein or whatever right. supplement they have to figure it out and I think the FDA is being smart about this in a way in terms of how they're approaching it they're just trying to protect the consumer to a degree and also protect their you know business of having approved a drug Epidiolex which is actually working Then and this company went around the right way in terms of getting it approved so there's a lot of things going on in the space. And the last thing I'll say is I think that the near-term gold rush, per se, in making money in cannabis by investing in a private round right before it goes public, that kind of ended as well. So we're in a period now, uh, there's going to be a lot of winners, there's going to be a lot of losers. I've said that from the very beginning. And you know, investors need to be patient. And I think over the long term, that will pan out. I think the macro, still very bullish on. More states are approving cannabis. You know, since I last spoke to you, I think there's been two more rec states, yep. which have approved a couple more medical. Um, so the macro is there. It's-
1: and, and look, New York and New Jersey, well, they shit the bed earlier this year in 2019. It both look like they could still do something this year. You know, New Jersey has said. You know, Steve Sweeney, the the president of the state senate, said, "Yeah, we're going to try again," and they think he he thinks he has the votes. Um, we had um, Senator Liz Kruger in here a couple weeks ago. She said she thinks that they're going to get this done in the in the fall session as well. So, you got two huge states, you know, uh, 18 million people in, in New York, you've got 9 million people in New Jersey. Um, that's a massive number of people, you know, and New York City alone will then dwarf Los Angeles as the largest cannabis market in in the world. You know, Are you looking at that in terms of investing? Like, who are the guys who have exposure in New Jersey? Who are the guys who have exposure in New York? Are they good plays now? Or are you going to wait to see if we get closer legislatively?
2: It's funny. In some aspect of that, you actually don't want REC to come yet in New York and don't want REC to come in New Jersey if you're invested in a company who's building out their medical facility. Or, or, right. Right. Um, so the the answer is I think in the long run everyone knows that those companies will approve adult use. Um I've been called I've been told to call it adult use now, not rec. Is that the new that's, thing? That's, you're, yes. you're the PR guy. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Adult use. So that will happen over time and yes, that will be positive for the stocks. I don't think it's a reason to sell off the stocks by not having it approved yet. Again, I think investors are impatient. I think it's a lot of retail money that has come into the into the sector. Um and there, you lose money quickly, you get out. Um and I think that uh over time I think that Things are still in play to get done. Listen, I mean, if you go to, uh, I think it's Northampton, Massachusetts, the, what's it called, Netta facility yeah. that's there, it's crushing it. I don't know what the numbers are exactly, but I can tell you that it's, it's crushing it. It's
1: a three-hour wait. Yeah. Three-hour three wait well, to certain, get
2: in. But everyone from Connecticut is driving over. If the state of Connecticut doesn't realize, that, I mean, they do, they do realize do They it, are. Here's yeah. another state who doesn't seem to get it. Um, that they will approve. Rec. So if I'm an investor in the state, I know Green Thumb's in there now and everybody's kind of bought into the space. I think over time, those would be great plays. You just have to be patient. And I think that this is the perfect storm right now. Um, but look, look what's happening in the U.S. economy. Things are slowing. You know, We have a massive deficit. And I've said all along, this is something that's easy to check the box on to produce tax revenues over time. So from that standpoint, I think it's it's actually very, really, really interesting. So again, I think it's the people that you... That you invest with, what the realistic business plans are, the conservative ones that know over a long period of time that they can make money, and you need to follow those companies and and just be patient with it. So,
1: over the last couple of months, there have been a f- couple of ETFs in the space that have come out. Uh, I don't know if you know much about ETFs. These ETFs specifically. You know, I'm an anti-ETF person. Well, pe- uh, so, anyway, yeah, so yeah. let's look. Let, let, but 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 there's two right. There's innovation shares, um, and then uh, Tim Seymour has uh, has his sure uh, as well you know, for a retail investor, is it safer to go, because there's no mutual funds now, um, is it safer to just put your money into these baskets, or is it better to try and be an individual stock picker? And and we can talk about why you don't like ETFs generally. No, I but. think,
2: you know, for instance, Tim's approach is great. I think he's actively managing, it's an actively managed ETF. So it's very different than a passive ETF that's game. But again, you're you're dealing with a market that is, you know, has high fees, Forget what the stated fees are on, on the ETFs. And I'm not singling out any one of these mm-hmm. ETFs in particular. But, again, if you want exposure, sure. If you want to allocate money into the space, I can tell you it's not going to be the most efficient way. And I'm not singling out any ETFs the most efficient way. I believe that this market, in the U.S. names especially, and those ETFs you're referring to, 90% of them are all Canadian.
1: Because they, they have to be.
2: Exactly. So you're not truly getting what I'm talking about, right. the true exposure that you want. And part of the experience uh, that has added to this negative fuel, per se, has been... Not just ETF-driven. It's been, but the ETFs are driving those stocks. So it doesn't matter whether you're selling an ETF or a stock. It's going to go down if you're if you're a net seller of it. Right. I think that the U.S. names that uh, every state is its own country. Right. I mean, if you want to go to Oregon or Washington, you're looking at sub one thousand dollar per pound, yeah. cannabis. I mean, that's you know that's is that viable? Probably not over the long term. But if you approve a federal bill, and all of a sudden you can ship. That product out to the U.S. What does that do to other states that are experiencing thirty five? No, they're yet. not going to. But they, they, my point is but that even are, if they
1: do approve federally, it's still going to be a state by state. Sure, and, but there's
2: so many variabilities. The market's going to look forward, project back, put some type of discount rate on this stuff. So mm-hmm. you know, you know, again, I think that people need to do their work regardless of how they want to express their trade and understand when you're going into an ETF. Break it down. Eight point six percent is this. Seven point two. Is this really what I want? How I want to allocate? Um, I'm willing to take the risk on certain names in the U.S. that are bulletin board and you know take advantage of the volatility um near term of these names and they trade all these names trade horribly because they trade bulletin board and, and they're, mean, on the OTC mean horribly, they're, they're on the trade horribly on down days fluctuations exactly
1: and yeah. there's not a lot of volume
2: there are there can be if there is a lot of volume that goes through you'll see these stocks drop 10 15 in a day or right. in an hour even and so if you're if you've done the work you've and you've talked to the management and you're confident in the business plan that they're executing in are and they're executing outside of the factors that they can't control, then there's still money to be made here. But it's, it's, it's tough.
1: So if, if I'm um, a retail investor who, who's playing around and I actually want to call and get on the phone with management, if it, whether I'm speaking to the CEO, the CFO, or just the internal investor relations person, what's the one question that I should be asking that you, you know, will give me an insight into, is this a buy, hold,
2: or sell? Do you have the capital? How are you gonna fund it? And what are your long-term growth plans gonna be? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that the MA trade, kind of to own something because it's gonna get bought, is not happening right now. One, because companies, currencies themselves, the ones that'll be used to be buying out, are going down at the same time. But they need, a, they need a plan in place. You know How are they gonna access this capital? Um, banking on the fact that you can use the equity markets over long-term is not a viable strategy. And this goes back to, the Safe Act, or whether it's a state states act, what it might be, the act, the ca- cost of capital needs to come down. I've never seen an industry get launched before the infrastructure was built on. Some this is a you know multi multi billion dollar industry this has been launched before we've even figured out the rules. Yeah. So we are navigating through the really truly the wild west uh, in more ways than one on this. So. Again, I think some of these companies could consider going private. I mean, I, I think going,
1: so. G- g- reversing back out, so they yeah. went. They got the money, and then because the stock is so low, they take the cash that they raised and buy the stock back.
2: Well, or someone else comes in and or says private a, or, firm a private doesn't. equity firm decides. You know what? This is a, this is a really interesting asset. You know, having to rely on your public currency and getting measured every day on what is truly really going on. There's you know behind the scenes, these companies are growing. They're trying to do the right things, yes. but they're, the market's telling them they're not and that's always been the problem in the stock market of of the immediate gratification of it all of a sudden the sector's bad well nothing's changed in the sector per se but the perception has changed but really what's going on is the hard work that's being done listen are people meeting the revenue forecasts probably not you know, no. did they? Because they wanted to get, they either were, they either had an M and A plan that is has that not evolved um, because of their stock price having going down, or they thought a deal was going to happen and it didn't, or a state delayed. To your point about New York and New Jersey, investors need to consider all of that when they're making an investment in a company in terms of what they're projecting for the growth. So again, the first question is, what is your capital plan? Second question is, are you being conservative? or Are you being way too aggressive on the assumptions that you were alluding to in terms of uh, in terms of growth within those states? You know, and and so I think that. Um, companies need to have the answers to those questions i think investors need to be you know when you look at a company like this uh industry like this you really have to apply a very large discount rate per se what your risk adjusted returns going to be on these things so um listen i think it's this is this is going to be winners and losers we're going to keep seeing it i think the shakeout will continue um but i think we'll look back in in five to ten years and and say you know, that was either a great buying opportunity or how could it be so stupid? <laughs> it could be both, but I believe right? that it could be both. Could yeah, because you so. could
1: be putting money into one MSO or one ancillary services company, and they end up being pets.com, and you missed it, and there was somebody else who you weren't paying attention to who came in and, and won. Last year, 18, the end of seven, middle of 17 into through 18, we saw a tremendous amount of money being generated in, in, in RTOs, reverse takeovers on the, the CSE. This year, at the beginning of the year, we saw a lot of M&A activity, and, and everybody was buying each other, and, and like some of the bigger deals was, was like Cureleaf spending almost a billion dollars on grassroots. Um, Most of that
2: stock, so, yeah.
1: Yeah, and, and, and because Cureleaf's stock has come down, it makes it even more expensive for them. You know What you just said was you think that the M&A fervor will tamp down. Um, So if I'm a smaller operator, right, if I'm um, a guy who has a couple of licenses in California, a couple of licenses in Washington state, they're going to have to actually run their business. There is no white knight coming in to rescue them. Is that what you're you're thinking and seeing?
2: Well, that or the price that they thought they were going to get for the license is not going to be what they thought they were going to get for the license. So to your point, if. You own a license in a, in a state and pick pick any state and it's I'll make up a number 10 to 15 million dollars basically is what it transferred at after the after the initial win. Your CapEx needs are obviously I'll make up a number 10 to 20 million dollars over a period of time to develop that right particular, to vertically integrate. So people will sit there and say, OK, well, I'm not going to be able to raise 20 or 30. Maybe I'll flip this that flip trade is not occurring. Now, there's still value in those licenses, obviously. But every day that goes by and you're not doing anything with it, you run the risk that that particular state will issue more licenses, will change the way that they're doing some type of business. So, right. so you're right. It's changed. The To your point, the ability to say, all right, let me come in and buy a license and then we're going to flip it. That trade's not happening anymore, to your point, because that vertical integration or that cross-state integration or the MSOs entering other states, they need to fix, they need to do what they have now in place. They need to run those particular states. And I think investors want to see the development and the production and the revenue growth that they thought they were gonna get in this company. Because it is, if you're vertically integrated, I truly believe, and you and you run your business efficiently, you can make money in this business, there's not a question. And you can mitigate the, the price degradation of the product itself because if you own it at the retail level. So if you own the brand, you own the dispensary, you own the processor, you own the wholesale. So if you're vertically integrated, I think there's ways to make money, but you we- still
1: think that growing it is, is I mean, look if you look at most of these multi-state operators, they they had to spend a lot of money to do cultivation. But but ultimately, you know, Oregon, California, uh, Oregon, Washington state, you're you're right. It's about a 1000 bucks a pound for for decent flour that is a commodity, a commodification. These MSOs are probably going to start to shed that part of their business soon. You know, who's going to buy that? If I'm, for argument's sake, I'm GTI or Cresco, uh, Cresco Labs, not Cresco Capital, and I have a couple hundred thousand feet of grow, and, and the cost of growing is 500 bucks a pound, for argument's sake, and you know it gets down to 800 bucks a pound, is that 300 bucks enough of a margin to maintain the grow, or are they going to try and shed it? And if they are, who would buy it?
2: I think part of the game is people want to have a genetically superior product, um, and you can really only control that by owning it all the way through. I do think there'll be companies which will buy wholesale and you've seen in certain states, if you get trapped in the state of Massachusetts, you own a dispensary and you're not a grower and it's in high demand, your margins are gonna really be horrible. So right. over the long term, I think you can, again, if we can change the 280E laws or the tax laws could change over time to make this more efficient to be a grower to write off the expenses. That's a major problem yeah. we have right now. But I think the being vertically integrated is the way to go. Again, I'm not a grower. I don't play one on TV. I don't do that. But, but I think that people want to control the downstream. And I think that's the whole plan. I think that's what MSOs want to do. I think when they go into certain States where they want to get up and running quickly, they own dispensaries, but they'll go buy wholesale over time. But I think they want to control the the entire process. All
1: right. I'm going to ask one more question and, and this will be like a mini episode. You so. got it. Um, Bruce Linton is out at canopy, right? Um, And you know you're starting to see some turnover in the C-suite for some of the bigger companies. Do you think? And I'm not again. I'm not going to ask you to name names, but I I I believe that in the next 12 months that the vast majority of the MSOs out there will see major turnover at the C-suite, whether it be the 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 president uh, or the CEO moving up to chairman, or the president being fired, or CFO's out. because these guys knew how to stitch together financial instruments but not necessarily how to run companies am i just talking out my ass or do you think i am right here
2: no i think that the entrepreneurs the founders should recognize what their skill sets are and i'm not naming out anybody here but these are cpg companies now and they're going to move into that and so you want if you can get someone from a from a kellogg's or a procter and gamble someone to come in a craft to come in and start really streamlining operations that's what investors would want to see and i think that the the true leadership, the true guys that know that, or women that know that, should bring in those people. And, and so you will see an evolution of that occurring, whether it's forced by the investors, or you know, whether people are self-aware or not. Right. Um, I think that right now, the market, certain stocks, everything's kind of trending together, but there's certain stocks that are down a lot more than others, maybe for corporate, corporate governance reasons that need to change at the top. So um, I think you're gonna continue, continuously see a revolving door, um, which I think is a positive. And um, they're moving from story stocks into fundamental stories. (laughs) Uh, That's what you need. And I think it's welcome. And I think that uh, the the boards of these companies should recognize that and and do the right thing.
1: Cool. Danny, thank you. It's always a a pleasure, pleasure, man. All right. Cool. Special thanks to Danny Moses, friend of the podcast, friend of KCSA, and friend of mine for dropping in for a quick conversation on what's been going on in the public markets. Uh, as always, if you want to get in touch with us, you can reach us uh, via email at greenrush@kcsa.com at you can also find us on Twitter and on Instagram. Please take a moment to subscribe to The Green Rush on your favorite podcatcher, whether that be on iTunes or Stitcher, uh, Google Play, you name it. We were found everywhere. Um, missed doing this with Anne, but Danny just showed up, and I figured, hey, why not grab some time with him for you? And that, my friend, is one take Shay. One take.